Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles, and you're listening to FT Startup Stories, a 10-part series in which I talk to entrepreneurs about the challenges of starting and growing a business. In this episode, we're looking at business ethics. Jamie Waller ran various businesses after leaving school at 16, but none of the size as his current company, National Enforcement and Debt Collection Service, JBW Group. He told me how he got involved in a business that has sometimes been associated with disreputable behaviour. How it came about is I sold cars, so I had a car sales yard over in south-east London, and it was just when London had appointed a mayor, and we started to get these red routes and congestion charge was being spoken about, etc. And pretty much overnight, my business went from being a very good lifestyle business to not generating any income whatsoever because I had two red lines put outside my showroom and people couldn't stop. And I would go home and watch the TV of an evening and I would see lots of traders, market traders, etc. on the TV saying, well, you know, we're just going to continue to park and we're not going to pay it. And then someone on behalf of the mayor's office would stand up and say, well, if that happens, we will send in the enforcement agents or bailiffs, as they were once known then. And it just occurred to me that there was this industry forming overnight in London, and there was my business crashing through the floor. So I thought, hey, I should look into this. And that's how JPW came about. What were you doing in those early days? So in the early days, I went and got a job as a self-employed enforcement agent myself. So I went and got a job for the largest enforcement company in the country, and I went out and I went collecting debts on behalf of UK government. You must have seen some interesting things yeah, in those days. I mean, I, I was a pretty young lad, you know, I was like 22 years of age. But, you know, going from selling cars, dealing with people that want to deal with you, to then getting a job where you had to get up at four in the morning, go around knocking on people's houses from about 6am and saying to them, if you don't pay, I will take your stuff away, was a world of difference from what I was used to. It wasn't a nice job. And there I would be every morning knocking on people's doors and not getting the best of responses at all times, as you can imagine. And it was just a complete eye-opener, because when you think of this. You think of them going to visit sort of old ladies and people that are poor that can't afford to pay. But the reality is miles away. The reality is they're going to people who refuse to pay, not people that can't afford to pay. And they're not old ladies, they're 25-year-old men. They're 35-year-old men, they're 20-year-old women. They are people like you and I, but who have decided that they won't comply with the rules that society have set them, which is pay your parking, pay your council tax, pay your income tax, etc. These people believe that they're above that and they don't need to do that. When I was an agent myself, I was attacked with a hammer, I was spat at, I was held hostage in someone's house at gunpoint. In held Leicester. hostage? Held hostage, yeah. So I I'd attended this house. The lady of the house opened a door, invited me in, and I was stood in the kitchen explaining to her why I was there and that it was for a criminal court fine that needed to be collected. 
and all of a sudden this guy came running down the stairs with his shotgun and screaming and shouting and I tried to calm him down, tried to get out the house, he wouldn't let me out the house, he bolted all the doors and we were in that house for a few hours and uh, that was a terrible moment and I must say, you know, this isn't a frequent occurrence but it did happen and that makes you really think twice about what you want to do and if you still want to continue to do that as a job. You obviously have continued and grown the business. I know you care a lot about ethics. This seems like a scenario where a lot of ethics are needed and maybe it might be difficult to apply those. Have you done that? Well, it's really important to me. We grew up in a two-bedroom flat above a shop that my parents still lived in until they passed away recently. So we grew up in surroundings where people didn't have much and it was really important to me that if enforcement agents are used in those surroundings that they're used correctly and that meant that you had to embed some ethics in the way this difficult job was performed. And that was my real driver because when I got a job in the industry what I noticed quite quickly is that actually the industry and certainly most of the organisations lacked empathy for what they were doing and it had to be values over profits which when you go into a private organisation and say that doesn't go down too well. So it was very difficult for these big companies to change. So what we had to do is I had to come to a conclusion either I walk away and leave this industry that I found myself working in because I didn't agree with the way it was being done or take on the task of trying to change it. And that's what I did. And 13 years later, the industry now is a million miles away from what it was 13 years ago. And I believe that I played a key part in that. Because what I did is I brought values and ethics to the method of debt recovery on behalf of government, which meant that while I was out picking up contract after contract after contract because the government believed that this needed to be done, my competitors had to change too. Although the reputation of enforcement officials is better than it was 20 years ago, this remains a controversial market where stories of bad practices still hit the headlines. Peter Tutton, head of policy at debt charity Step Change, explains. There's an inherent tension there between quite a strong legal measure, enforcement measure, to get money in, and on the other hand, people who are very vulnerable. So that creates a systemic problem, which means you can do it well or you can do it badly. And I think ethics is really important here and good regulation. It's not to say that firms aren't thinking about that. It's about are the incentives and is the regulatory structure and the structure of control pushing enough pressure so that firms think about it enough? We did an estimate that there are sort of people struggling with financial difficulty now with all the sort of health problems and loss of productivity for debt-related stress and unemployment and relationship breakdown and housing loss and all those things costs taxpayers about 8 billion quid. So there's these big external costs from debt. And so the public policy aim should be where we identify people in financial difficulty, that's try and solve that rather than making it worse. The difference to that is if you're a bailiff firm, what you're trying to do is fulfil your contract, keep your creditor happy that you're getting the money in and make money. And there's a tension between those two things. David de Kramer is an expert in business ethics at Judge Business School in Cambridge. He's looked at the problem of ethics, particularly in relation to the financial crisis of 2008. I asked him for his view on how best to instil ethics in an organisation. It's very difficult and it will take time. And time usually means money in business. But it is worth the effort. 
because I think there are certain companies nowadays coming to the service where, where you show that a truly, genuine, sincere, value-driven policy and approach creates business, and especially in the long term. So short term, you will have certain costs, but we quite often, despite the fact that we're emphasizing long-term vision now, we don't take it into account when we make our business calculations yet. So we have to make that more part of it, first of all. So it can pay off. Why am I saying it's difficult? Because, of course, we're dealing with something that we call human nature, and every business model that we apply is very rational. So we make a very strong distinction between rule-based compliance and ethics-based compliance. Rule-based compliance is basically the compliance we have nowadays in most of our organizations worldwide, which means we have the law. But one thing we have to realize is the following. Rules, first of all, are reactive. If something goes wrong, then we'll come up with a rule or a law. So they adopt a reactive mindset. How do you get people then to think not reactively, but proactively in being ethical? Can you do something like maybe companies like JBW do in terms of teaching people to be ethical? And how do you do that? This is indeed a very good example of a company who's trying to do this in terms of uh, its founder, CEO, is also trying to model it. So walking the talk, like we say, leading by example, is extremely important. Basically, it comes down to the same thing as with your children. You model and you point out where the line is. But what we've started to realize with our children as well is you always have to provide an explanation. So if you only use rules, the rule-based compliance, you're only saying this you can do and this you can do, but there's no real explanation for it. So ethics is in a way proactive. You may be confronted with certain things that, like I said, there's no law, no rule for it. Then you need to be able to rely on the moral compass of your employees, of the people who represent your company. And in that aspect, Organizational cultures are extremely important, and this is where we touch upon what we call ethics-based compliance. After the financial crisis, we all know the regulators have imposed a lot of paperwork. One of the reasons why is because we haven't really changed our cultures or mindsets. And what happens is, let's say people don't comply with the laws, do organizations know because people will find ways around rules? No, usually that goes into darkness. Companies don't know how many of their employees are on slippery slopes. And we also know that fraud doesn't happen overnight. So the reality is that many companies have a lot of slippery slopes moving towards an explosion and are not aware of it because we only, from a rational point of view, rely on the ticking the box and see, okay, we've done all of this. And if people haven't done it and we don't know about it, we're just waiting for the bomb to explode. So we are blind in between when people enter the slippery slope until it explodes. And this is what we call ethics-based compliance. We want to know about the slippery slope. So you need to build cultures that are feedback-driven, that in a way that you can try to find what is happening, that people may make mistakes, because good people can do bad things, because we're rational to some extent. So in your company, you want to find out whether there are problems with incentive systems, because this is how Salespeople, for example, will feel pressure in order to sell. Whether there may be problems in terms of communication between departments, whether there are silos. If there's no feedback culture, people will not speak up. You won't know this information and you're waiting for a bomb to explode. And there's one other element that helps in this is what we call a forgiveness culture. It may be a very soft value, but forgiveness culture really means here that in order to model ethics, 
and good judgments, you need to have a learning orientation. You understand if you only use rules to punish, which most companies do, if you violate a law or a rule, most people are laid off. And there's no discussion about it because fingers are pointed at individuals. As an organization, you don't learn. The only thing you install is fear. As an organization, you also want to learn because certain systems may not work in combination with the employees you have or with the kind of job you want to do because the market changes very quickly. So you want to be very adaptive. The agility is very high there. So the only way to get that is also to find out why is it that this is happening and from time to time to forgive. So this may be that certain people violate rules, but you catch them in time before the bomb explodes, which saves you already a lot of money. But at the same time, you have the opportunity here to signal to everyone, okay, this person will be punished, for example, no bonus, or next year's salary will be lower, because there's always a consequence, of course, but it's put in a context of, oh, we're changing certain things as well, because we found out about this feedback. This installs trust, trust to speak up. Like I said, rules have to be followed. They're the minimal condition, but I'm stressing minimal, because in addition to rules, you want to have judgments and people only get judgments if they understand the situation, why the rules are there, and how to start thinking themselves about these challenges. Jamie Waller adopts a rather tougher stance with those who cross his ethical red line. But then he is working in a rather tough business. We can teach people a skill. We can teach people how to knock on someone's door and ask them for money, and if they don't pay, how to remove their vehicle or remove their TV. What you can't teach people is how to treat people with respect. What we do is we always ensure that we demonstrate how ethics and values are important to us over anything else. So if someone behaves outside of those core values, they leave the business immediately. And we will do that at any cost. We are an organisation that is given immense authority by the government to visit people's homes with the power of a court order to enter their homes, take money off them or remove their goods. And as far as I'm concerned, if people don't act appropriately when we task them with doing that, they cannot work at JBW Group. In the next episode, I'll be talking to an Australian entrepreneur who departed dramatically from her original business plan and in the process created a successful global technology company. You can catch up on previous episodes of FT Startup Stories by going to our special page, ft.com forward slash startup. You can also take up our offer of a 25% discount on a subscription to the Financial Times by going to ft.com forward slash startup offer. Until next time, goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.